Hello there. I'm Ryan Woods, a Spartan god. This is my own mind. You're listening to the I'm a Spartan podcast, Scott Knowles. And I'm, what the fuck am I doing this, man? This is fucking stupid. Are you kidding me? I'm doing these favors for these bums? Nah, fuck this. I'm out here. Katie, bring me some wine. I'm fucking out. Scott Lafayne Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. And on this episode, I have a cool guest, Miguel Medina. He's an OCR OG, and he's going to tell us about how he crushed the Spartan Ultra this past weekend in Montana. Montana was a trifecta weekend with an Ultra. I want to say that might be the first one that they've done in the U.S., but I might be wrong. Anyway, all the pictures and videos I've seen in this venue just make it look epic. And it's on my bucket list. I want to get out there and do it someday, hopefully next year. But anyway, here's the interview with Miguel Medina. Miguel Medina, what is up today, man? Oh, what's up, man? I'm, uh, I'm back at home, back, back on the farm here in Durango, Colorado, and just, you know... Getting getting a look at this big, pretty golden belt buckle I got from Montana. I'm okay. not gonna lie, this is this is probably my favorite belt buckle that Spartans ever released, with exception of like the originals from 2014 that were that were reminiscent of like some of the old school hundred milers. Right, and fucking a man, you got first place in elite there too. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a welcome surprise. I kind of I kind of came in. Um, just thinking, you know, the number one thing was just to qualify for Telluride for the Spartan Ultra World Championship. So I, I just, I, I was a little nervous cause I, I just had COVID about five weeks ago. So oh, wow. I, I wasn't, I, I was kind of like trying to be cautious. My fiance is actually kind of funny. She's like, I didn't want to say anything cause I, I didn't want to mess with your head game at all. But like, I was kind of nervous about that cause we both have read about like, you know, uh, heart issues and stuff like that with people after right. getting it. And so, uh, I was real cautious, but, but all in all, man, I had a really great day and I was, I, you know, obviously it, it went really well. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. And I, and I could see you did, you know, I was looking over the results and I saw you bought, you beat second place by 20 minutes. So that was, I mean, it looked like you had a pretty easy ride. Were you in first place most of the time or was there some little exchanges there? Uh, hold on. I'm sorry. Let me, let me let that stop ringing. So that's sorry. fine. Just gonna let it stop for a second. So I, I work from home, so that's fine. <clears throat> okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, to to answer your question, I was I think I was in second for the first like thirteen miles. Right. Um, you know the guy the guy who took off. I'm trying to remember his name. He's one of the pro team guys. I think his name is, is Zach. Um, but he he just took off, man. He was moving like from the get go. And I saw him running and I was just like, man, if that guy can hold that pace, he totally deserves this. Like, <laughs> you know, like I told myself, like, I was not going to try and, and hold on to that guy, mostly because I'm like, this is a 31 mile race. Like, I, I have no need to run that fast right now. I'm going to if I'm going to run that fast, it's going to be, you know, if it's necessary. So I just I just was in second and I kind of kept him in in reach like in within my line of sight for a good while he kind of disappeared i think after mile five but i would kind of catch glimpses of him like you know occasionally and then finally when we came up to the gauntlet um you know we have the inverted wall and then the new slip wall right. and this big nasty climb and i saw him maybe about 200 meters ahead of me on that big climb and was like okay so I'm just going to do what I usually do on, on one of my training runs. That's kind of similar to this. I'm going to do a combination of power hiking and jogging. And it, it got me close enough to him. And then when the hill dropped, you know, and I caught him on the descent and chatted with him and hung out with him for a second, kind of gauged where he was at. And then I figured he was going to hold on for a while. And so I just kind of went back to focusing on running my race and he hung out with me throughout the gauntlet, uh, through the rest of it. And after that, once we got through the gauntlet, 
and into the next like big climbing section i i dropped him at some point in time and and i was in first for, for the rest of the race so was that after the transition no that was before the transition i think that would have been oh wow like maybe oh man must have been must have been like mile 15 or something like right. that um because it would have been before before what obstacle was it before the a-frame so i dropped him somewhere between between the end between the atlas carry and the a-frame and that and then from there i was in the lead the rest of the time and you know yancey culp he's my he's my coach we we run yancey camp and he's always been really good about helping me make sure i i pace it out well because in in my early years of ocr i had a, a tendency to kind of just easily blow up and so i just always had enough in the tank um to make sure that i can that i can sprint it out if i had to for a few miles so i was just kind of cognizant of listening for any volunteers or any you know other racers making like you know saying like or you know ultra coming through or any of that stuff but it never came so i just maintained my pace and and focused on on what had to get done you know i mean i got to transition and um Hammond was there and he was just like, you ended up catching up to him. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, I just got to keep running now. It's lap two, man. <laughs> so like you said, you were talking about your pacing. Well, what was your pacing strategy going in? Um, I mean, honestly, I just kind of wanted to, I, 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 I don't know if you're, I, I imagine you're familiar with like heart rate zones. So yeah. I actually wore my, my heart rate monitor for the first time during an OCR this time. And I just kind of would glance at it occasionally, making sure that I'd, I'd stay like around, you know, no higher than what my zone four would be because it is such a long race. I, I wanted to make sure I had plenty of energy and plenty, plenty in the tank in case I had to like really, you know, sprint it out like i was ready at any point in time for someone to just catch up to me and just have to like run hard so i was just kind of running what felt like comfortably hard for me the entire time what i knew i could kind of hold on to all day and just focused on being perfect through the obstacles being confident through the obstacles and just being aware of my surroundings you know trying not to get off course trying not to get injured trying not to um you know let let anything anything phase me or mess with me or anything like that because the goal you know, again, it was just qualify for Telluride. Right. So, and, and, and you back up to the zones you're talking about. So you, you were trying to maintain zone four. So if you saw it drop into zone three, did you speed up? And if you saw oh, it go into zone five, did you slow down or was it kind of perceived no, effort let running? Me, let me, let me rephrase that. So I, no more than, than a zone four. Um, so I, I was really probably sticking to zone, zone three most of the time. And like on descents, I would probably drop into like a zone two right. and just really kind of enjoy it. Cause I mean, I, I live in, in Durango, Colorado, so I just, I do a whole lot of trail running and, and it's really helped me gauge like not, I, I check the data. Obviously I look at the, I glance at the watch, but really I kind of spent most of the day just going off a of field, especially right. because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming down in elevation and I was also a little sleep deprived. So I'm just, right. you know, focused on, on what the task at hand was. So, I mean, I was looking at results. I saw that this was your fastest ultra that you've ever done, but out of the, all the Spartan ultras that you've done, since this was your fastest time, were you just better prepared this time? Or was this maybe to say your easiest ultra? Was the course easier than the other races, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I mean, you know, when I took second at the at the Ultra World Championship race over in Tahoe in 2015, that was a brutal That was nasty. Course, man. That was a nasty course. It was like raining and drizzly all day. I, I mean, I think I told someone else about this, that it was literally like 30 seconds of sunlight that day, and then it was just gross yeah because um, wasn't like the weather the day before there was like totally different yeah it was perfect <laughs> it was a beautiful day yeah and then the following day it was like shit yeah it was <laughs> trash it was terrible and so I, I mean you know it's been six years since 2015 and i'm really thankful to say that i've i've learned a lot since then and i've grown a lot as an athlete and you know, I've taken my running much more seriously in the last couple of years living here in Durango, being surrounded by 
this place and by the talent that's here. And so that's really helped me come a long ways. And I mean, honestly, the course was difficult. Like it was like, you know, for, for those who have done OCR for a while, especially um, Spartan races, it was very reminiscent of a norm, a norm course. Oh, wow. Um, for those who, who know who that is, you know, there's a lot of just tons of bushwhacking. There was climbs that were definitely like on the verge of breaking you. And right when you would get there, you know, you'd flatten out for a second and then you'd keep climbing or the terrain would shift and change. And it was, it was, uh, it was tough, man. But I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Um, you know, I, I took fourth at Bandera this year in January, which is a race to get a golden ticket for, uh, Western States, 100 miler. Awesome. And unfortunately, unfortunately I didn't get my ticket. I, I bonked about uh-huh. 42 miles deep and second. And so, um, you know, but, but, but that's, that doesn't even matter anymore. At, at this point, it was just uh, that fitness. I held on to that fitness, you know, I, I held on to it and then I expanded on it by making sure I started to work on the skills I need for OCR and, and, you know, this was a, a big day for me to learn, like, what I need in order to be successful for the Spartan Ultra World Championships in October. So, yeah, man, I mean, it was it was a tough course, but but I'm willing to say that I was I'm I'm in better shape than I than I have been. Um, so, yeah, I'm, it's 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 good things. It's good things. Um, I was looking at your your athletes, but didn't you run the uh, Colorado Ultra? in 2019 yeah i did actually uh that was that was like five or six weeks after running my first hundred miler i did i did bighorn 100 that year and it was that was a solid race man if you love if you like ocr and you like going long bighorn is great because it's just lots of single it's like 70 miles of single trail right and it's in the mountains like on the border of Wyoming and Montana. So very similar terrain. And I swear, man, every time that race has gone on, it rains at night, huh. apparently. And so it dumped all night, like one, like maybe an hour after the sunset, it just started dumping. Um, and I, I ended up taking second, which I was really happy with that day. And then, you know, I, I had foolishly signed up for Aspen um, a few weeks later and that that was a painful one because my sure. I was definitely not recovered, and it was it was very much like a, a big race for strategy more than anything. Because once I realized that my legs weren't going to give me what I needed to do better, I just kind of focused on damage control, and right. um, it was the strategy was was effective enough to pull off t- taking third. Um, but I got I got whooped by Aaron and by Killian that day because I just didn't have it in my legs. Well, that's what I was going to say, you know, is I'm surprised that they didn't roll over that race to qualify you for Telluride. Yeah, I tried. Oh, they, they didn't? <laughs> I, I emailed them and they're like, unfortunately, you know, I don't know who I talked to. But I guess like, it had you know, to be like, after 2019 World it, Championships. It, yeah, it had to be as of September 2019. Right, they couldn't, right, they couldn't right. give me that. But you know what? It's okay because it... it it gave me an excuse to to go out and and go run a Spartan race, so that's that's what I did. Man. Hey, you wouldn't have got a gold if you would already been qualified. You wouldn't have got the gold this past weekend, so that's yeah. that's a bonus, right? Yeah, no, exactly. No, and and you know what the 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 little paycheck that I'll get from it is going to help a lot in terms of training equipment for for me and getting ready for for Telluride. So I'm I'm all for it, and you know as usual the community in obstacle course racing is, is fantastic. Oh, I got to hang out with, with tons of people, um, people that I knew from the, from prior races, you know, cause I've, I've been doing this since 2013, technically December, 2012. Um, and I got to meet a bunch of new people that, that I didn't know, you know, and, and it's, and I love it, man. And it's, <laughs> I would love to get to the point again where it's like I can do this for a living. Right. There was a brief a brief stint there um, for the first few years that I was on the pro team back when it was started that that this was the full time thing and back then I was a little a little younger a little more young a little more dumb and <laughs> wasn't wasn't uh, didn't didn't have the the knowledge that I have now you know so it's like I'm trying to find this happy medium where where I can still work a an adult job but also 
find a way to to make this part of what I'm doing, you know, because it's it's there's nothing like it. There's right. there's nothing like getting to compete, getting to throw down, and getting to just like find find a new a new like just level of of being man i don't know i mean not everyone you know everyone races ocr for different reasons or or does whatever sport or hobby they have for different reasons but i i discovered um in my early 20s that i was that i just i just got this fire in me and i need to compete and i'm just gonna do it you know and it's like even if they didn't even if there was no no paycheck big or small even if there was, I would still find a way to compete in something like it's just, right. it's, it's in my nature. And so, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. Like we can, we can comp- compete to see who, who mops a floor better and all like, if you make a competition <laughs> out of it, I'll be into it. So, so yeah. Well, Miguel, this is my first time talking to you, man. Let, let's back up. Like what is your athletic background and like, how did you find OCR? Oof. This is a rabbit hole, man. You sure you want to dive down this one with me? Let's do it. Okay. Cliff notes. Um, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> guess I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes because otherwise, I, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what. We'll we'll get deep with it um, over a beer sometime. But there otherwise, uh, the cliff notes would be: I am not an athlete by any. I was not an athlete by any any measure. Um, I was a big kid growing up, man. I mean, I remember to this day. When I was 11 years old, I went to my pediatrician's office, 12 years old, and I stepped on the scale and I was 220 pounds. Oh, shit. And I remember seeing that. I remember feeling, you know, just ashamed and also just knowing, like, you know, hearing it from the pediatrician, hearing it from the doctor that that, that 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 I was like obese, that I was fat. And and I always kind of struggled with my weight. I mean, even to this day, it's, it's something that's in the forefront of my mind and I've, I've gotten a lot better with it. Um, but, but I was a big kid, man. And so, you know, the next day I remember I told my mom, I want to get into Weight Watchers and we did it. And so I went, you know, from one year to the next, I got down into like the one eighties, but that wasn't, but that wasn't enough. Um, right. and so I got into high school, I said, okay, I need to try a sport or something. And so I signed up for football my sophomore year. I was a lineman. I played I played on the O line and on the D line for a few years. But in that time, I started to get these strange pains and sensations in my body. And at first, you know, as a boy who just ate hot pockets, macaroni and cheese, quesadillas, burritos, and yeah. played tons of Diablo and World of Warcraft. I just thought this was yeah. sound like we were brought up the same way. <laughs> uh, man. I was. A, I, I mean, I still am a giant nerd, but um, I just nerd out about different things. But uh, but uh, I I just ate, man. I mean, you know, I'm I'm Mexican, so like food food and family, it's like mm-hmm. it's a thing. It's it's culture. It's life. And so, you know, when I started playing sports and started feeling pain and. I started feeling numbness and tingling in my legs. I didn't know that that was an indication that there was something wrong. I just thought that's part of working out. Right. And so um, years go by, it gets worse. I'm 19 and I'm constantly dealing with some numbness and pain in my left leg. And eventually it starts to spread into my other leg. And eventually the pain continually gets worse and worse and worse and worse until it's basically, you know, between an eight out of 10 every single day of my life. Um, And so turns out I have this congenital disc defect or disc disease, you know, severe spinal stenosis. And so I did PT, acupressure, acupuncture, chiropractor, um, got to the point where we did a steroid shot and, you know, steroid shot, uh, it kind of masks symptoms, but it's supposed to give you some relief. And, you know, what the doctor said should last between six months to a year ended up lasting like not even three months. And after that I got, I was barely able to walk. Like I was wheeling myself around college um, on a wheelchair or using crutches to get around because I could not put any pressure on my leg because it was excruciating. Like I would be in tears. And so I was on pain meds and, you know, eventually, uh, 
like that was kind of the indication to my doctor that like the only choice was getting back surgery. So I got back surgery. Um, it was an outpatient procedure. I got out the next day, you know, and it was the first time in three years that I was like able to feel my feet correctly, that I was able to like walk without feeling an excruciating amount of pain. Um, but then I was back in the hospital a couple of weeks later because I ended up getting staph in my spine and oh. we had to like cut out some necrotized tissue and abscesses or whatever. And, you know, they put a drain in my spine and then I had to like do um, oral and IV antibiotics for several months and then was PT for a year. Um, but I was still also going to college at the same time. And wow. so after all that, you know, once I was like, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I basically only took, I took spring break uh, in college to, to like do that surgery and try and bounce back from it. And in that time, uh, I was also like trying to get into an internship program that they had at, at my college at UCLA, like to work at the hospital or to be a part of like the, the hospital there. And it, cause I'm an interpreter and a translator. That's like my, my day job. Right. And so I got accepted. And in that time, um, I started looking up terminology for work, you know, because eventually they did hire me. And I was looking up terminology and there was a side scrolling ad. And one of those side scrolling ads was like a commit now. Like yeah. it was like a Spartan race ad, those old school, like 2011, right. 2012 ads that were black and white. And I clicked it. First time I've ever clicked a banner ad in my life. <sighs> and it was the black and white video of people doing the course. It had like Hobie in it, Elliot McGuire, a bunch of random people. And it was playing Eric Thomas's speech about wanting success as bad as you want to breathe with the explosions in the sky overlay, like the music from the Friday night lights. Right. And dude, it, it moved me to tears. It like, I was sobbing uncontrollably, uncontrollably, you know, it was the first time in years, like that I, that like my body and my mind felt somewhere along the lines of right. And I just knew in that moment, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I want to do it. And so like the next day I started figuring out, like I tried to find a group on Facebook, ended up like joining like the Weeple Army and Sisu and stuff. So those guys are only 411. But um, I, I was like, I need to find people to train with and to do stuff with. And so I reached out to them, started training. You know, I did, I actually got my first Spartan race um, for free because I did a burpee competition after having run like a 5k at a water park right and like a mile of it was like in the in the lazy river or whatever it's called <laughs> that sounds and like, cool yeah it was really dope that was a really fun race <laughs> but um i that's how i got into my first race and then you know i i totally i like snuck into the elite heat at my very first race it was the beast in sacramento in 20 i want to say 2013 or 20 yeah i think no 2012 i snuck into it and i was like having a good day like i was trying to keep up with the top 10 and i didn't bring any calories with me or any water and like after the rope climb which i failed uh i like was just dead like i was like dying on the course like just i had no calories no water i i was <laughs> totally unprepared like crawling on the floor like on the verge of blacking out and like someone threw like some bean you know some some energy beans at me and i finished that race in 247 Mm. something like that and that was like but i was alive man i felt i mean everybody knows that feeling of finishing yep. your first race i felt alive and like i was like all right i gotta do more of this i gotta do better and so the next race i signed up for my first elite heat and i think i i was in like like third or fourth up until the spear throw and then you know <laughs> yeah you know how that goes yeah, finished in like eighth or ninth. But again, I was like, damn, I need more of this. Like, I need to do better. And it just got really competitive. And, and eventually I ended up, um, you know, I actually started training with Hunter back then. He, he's still one of my best friends to this day. And, you know, eventually we, we started training together. We got we got put on the pro team at the same time because we had, we had some, they, they were trying to build the team, you know. And mm -hmm. and the rest is kind of history, man. I mean, if you, if you look... I, I actually need to go through my athletes because there's apparently some other Miguel Medinas that have run races in other <laughs> states that are not me. And I'm like, that that's not me. I haven't run that marathon. <laughs> yeah, but I think I've got all, some of those too. Yeah, it's like I've had a pretty I've had a pretty awesome run in OCR. I mean, pulled off two two team championships with World's Toughest Mudder. Yeah. Um, pulled off pretty 
pretty good. You know, I, I ended up finishing a death race. Uh, I don't know, man. I've done. I mean, you ask me questions, I'll I'll tell you what I've done because I can just talk all day about this race. <laughs> Let me. So you said you had to get surgery on your back, like yeah, and you and you had to do rehab from for a, a year, physical therapy for a year. But yeah. how did you come from that and and feel confident to be like I'm going to start running? Like how did how did you transition to that? I mean, you weren't worried you were going to get injured again. I mean, you know my my orthopedic was really happy with how everything turned out. He said that, you know, cause I remember being in the office and telling him like, I'm not me. Like, I don't feel like myself. And he's like, well, we want to get you back there. Like we want, we want you to find yourself again. And like, this is going to be the first step. And he told me like, you know, he said like, he didn't say you should take it easy, but he said, you should be, you should be cautious, right? you know, and kind of feel it out. And so, I mean, I, I, I kind of, ask the PTs, like, when is it okay for me to try and do things? And they said, just kind of let your body be your guide. Right. And so my body was my guide. And the first thing they did was tell me to get a pair of New Balance 990s, which if you don't know what the 990s are, they're like grandpa shoes. They're like (laughs) the thickest, spongiest soles. And I started running on those on a mulch trail that's near where I used to live. And I just started running that every day. And eventually that kind of got easy. And so I transitioned to running on the beach because I I lived in Southern California at the time. Right. And so I would switch off between those two and, and eventually, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I remember waking up from, from my second back surgery, you know, from, from the staph infection surgery and the tsunami in Japan had just happened with like the Fukushima power plant and everything. And I was at a hospital in Santa Monica, California And I just saw, and I woke up to like a tsunami in Japan and I'm like, I need to get out of here. Like, I can't, (laughs) like, I remember just feeling this overwhelming urge to need to run. And, um, it's kind of evolved from there. I I won't lie to you, man. Like big part of what draws me to, to this activity and to sports, not sports, to just to OCR, to running the ultras, to being active is the fact that there are so many people in the world and even in my family who are unable to do that. And so I make sure to kind of dedicate every race to those people. You know, I have my cousin who's a year younger than me, who's quadriplegic. Mm. And so I make sure to, she's in my prayers and in my heart every time I step foot on a course, every time I step foot on the trail. Likewise, I think about other people who, whether I know them well or not, that may be limited. You know, my dad, who's now in his entering his seventies, um, his knees are shot. He can't run, and so every every step of the way that I take on a course, man, it's for someone like him. Yeah, you know, it's um, it it truly is a a blessing. Like I, I really do feel grateful for this privilege to be able to to do what I do. Whether it's on a podium or not doesn't matter. It, it's simply the fact that I have the, the privilege to be able to put on a pair of running shoes, lace them up, and run up a trail and run down a trail with reckless speed. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you got to have a, a, a good mental side to that too because a lot of people, like in your shoes, if they would have had a, you know, a degenerative disc, uh, you know, problem, I mean, they probably would have been like, well, I should never run because this won't be good for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I just I, think I it's mean, awesome that you, you, you've already faced, you faced some pretty, you know, significant trials. And here you are now, you're an ultra runner. And that's, I mean, that's amazing, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm really grateful, um, I'm not. I'm not strictly speaking a, a religious guy, but I. I really, you know, I thank God. You know, yeah. I thank God for for this for this opportunity and, and for the privilege of being able to do what what so many of us may take for granted. Oh yeah. Anybody that so, that takes place in any any race any race. I mean, I mean, you're blessed because I mean, you're doing something that some people can't do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
and so uh, you hinted about, you know, doing world's toughest mutter as, as the team. And y'all, um, you and Hunter, y'all won it one year with uh, Dennis Welch and Mark Jones. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And how many miles did y'all get? Uh, officially, we got 76 miles. We, <laughs> we beat uh, we beat Team Under Armour Australia by one mile. Oh, and wow. That was a... That was rough, man. Because wasn't there like a there was, sandstorm that year? Yeah, it was like the one, it, it's forever will live in infamy is the year of the sandstorm. Yeah, it was like 80 mile per hour wind gusts or something like, or not wind gusts, like sand blasts um, the entire night. It was like from, it was like eight hours of just nonstop getting getting your face scrubbed off by sand and wind and battling hypothermia and you know, ourselves. And, um, it was, it was probably to this day, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, and again, it was an opportunity for learning because, you know, honestly, I was the, I was the weak link in that chain that day. Um, it's funny because then the, I learned from that and I, I worked really hard for the next year to not be that weak link. And, and we ended up DNFing, but it was cool to go from one year to the next to see as an athlete and, you know, how much, how far I had come. And, and again, it was just a testament to, to like how important it is to just kind of be able to check yourself, check your ego and, and put in the work, man. But, but to this day, that's, I can still go and Google that, that world's toughest mother 2014 video. And it puts me somewhere between like joy and, and like misery and like I'm like laughing and like crying at the same time when I'm watching it because it's still just like one of the craziest things I've ever gotten to do and I got to do it with with some amazing friends man I mean to this day I, I I'm still really tight with with Mark and and with Hunter and with Dennis so it's uh you now know, just testament to how awesome and then we actually and then Mark Jones and I ended up making a team again in 2017 and with the last minute changes they did for two man and relays, we ended up making a relay team with uh, Austin Azar and with, and with uh, Chris Mendoza, which ended up being really awesome. And we retroactively ended up winning that guy. Now these same amazing friends that you speak of are the same friends that talked you into shit in your wetsuit during that race. <laughs> so they didn't talk me into it. It was hard. <laughs> There's, you can't you can't blame Mark, poor Mark and Dennis for that one, man. Uh, no, we were look, dude, we we were like behind, and I had been feeling like crap for a while, and I it kind of dawned on me that the reason I felt like crap is because I had to take a crap, and so, you know, there was one point where we were kind of like going up a hill or something. I, I just remember we like had just gotten out of a water obstacle. So we were feeling kind of warm for a second because the water was warmer than the air and right. the wind. And I told, I just straight up said, guys, I got I to gotta, I gotta poop. And Hunter just like turns around and looks at me and he's just like, we're not stopping. You know, he's like, you're either going to shit your wetsuit or you're going to hold it. And I just like, <laughs> very matter of factly was like, fine. And I shit my wetsuit. But I felt better after that. And we picked up the pace. We hustled. So, you know. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> it probably warmed up the wetsuit a little too. I mean, for for a moment, but it was definitely uncomfortable after that. And and it was. Uh, I'm just gonna say that my teammates are are troopers, especially Mark Jones. He he, uh, he bore the brunt of of having to deal with that. So, yeah. <laughs> That's still awesome, and you know, and it was such a close finish too. I mean, if you'd have stopped, you might not have been able to take the win. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I might have been there for ten minutes, just letting it, just just trying to go, and that that ten minutes may have made all the difference. So, mm. yeah, man, we just we just got it done. Right on. Well, so let's go back to your your ultra that you ran this past weekend. So, coming into the race, like, what was your plan? Like, how did you? Well, what was your strategy like weeks leading up to the race? Because, or did you pretty much were you already confident that you know, I can get top 10 to go to tell you ride or were you going in wanting to get onto the podium? Um, so I guess I'll start with, with the confidence thing. Uh, I was confident I can get top 10. I mean, anybody who, how do I say this? Um, 
I work my ass off. So I was confident I can get top 10 and I trust my training and I trust myself and know what I'm capable of, especially in the last couple of years of, of racing, you know, I've, I've kind of taken it to, to a different level for myself where I'm being very accountable and very real with myself and, and just not, just not letting ego be a part of it. I'm just completely focused on what the task at hand is. And, you know, I have to recognize what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And I'm going to build up those weaknesses and I'm going to refine those strengths. Right. Um, you know, I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's it. Now this last training block was interesting because after Bandera, my left hip was kind of messed up. And so I had my friend who's a PT help me out with some rehab that I was able to implement and uh, for for about six weeks to eight weeks that really helped a lot and then i had another friend of mine um, named adam um, who is a master body worker and he gave me a protocol that i started to follow that that helped kind of work out some of those kinks and so i kind of followed both those things religiously while at the same time still training even though i wasn't really able to run so instead of running i was just spending a heck of a lot of time between a skier a rower and an assault bike and uh, slowly as my hip felt better i transitioned back into more running less of the other stuff and so coming into it, I felt really, really strong, you know, like a few weeks, what is it, about six weeks out, I, I felt solid. And then five weeks out, I ended up getting COVID and mm. it knocked me out for two weeks, man. And those two weeks hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I could I'm not, sure. I did not train. I did not feel up for it at all. Like I was not, I was not in a good place. And so the last three weeks left before the race, I was like, okay, well, I kind of did a self-assessment, figure out where my body's at. And I just said, let's just, let's just, let's just put ourselves somewhere that we don't want to be for two weeks and see how the body feels come the week of the race. And so I did two weeks just back to back kind of picking up where I left off before getting COVID in terms of my training block. And it, you know, week, the week of the race came and I felt kind of weird. Like my body wasn't sure. And I'm like, I think this is how I'm supposed to feel during this taper, like kind of, kind of off, you know, cause I feel like a lot of athletes feel kind of off when they're not putting in the usual volume that right. they used to. Um, but I told myself that all that mattered was getting top 10, nothing else mattered, but that, and that I was just going to go out and run my race and I'm going to run a perfect race. Right. You know, that was the big thing. I didn't want to fail any obstacles. I, I took a penalty by choice on Olympus, my second loop, because I was like, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> this is this is really like dumb. I should save my grip for something that has uh, that has that has more, you know, that has burpees involved, because that would actually take some time. But me running an extra 200 meters is nothing. So right. I just like stepped off of it in the middle of it. But beyond that, I just knew that I that I needed to come into it confident and knowing what it is that had to get done i didn't i didn't know how i was going to do placement wise i didn't really think about that like in terms of getting on the podium or not i just knew i was going to go out and work my ass off and have a good day right on so how did you how did you fuel for the race did you carry hydration i mean what what was your game plan going into it did you knew exactly what you were going to do and what you were going to carry yeah i mean i'm pretty meticulous about my nutrition hydration um uh, you know, supplementation, like everything, because I've been, I've been doing this, these long events for seven years now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm meticulous, man. I mean, I know my body really well. I, I, and I pretty much anytime I talk about nutrition, I, I basically say the same thing. I take between 16 to 20 ounces of water down per hour. Uh, I drink, I consume between 200 to 300 calories per hour. And I did it in the form of goo. Generally speaking, I usually do my my calories with mixed in with my water. Right. But the calories that I was going to buy or that I that I had in mind didn't arrive on time, so I just had to implement goos. And uh, otherwise, I was popping two salt tabs every couple of hours just to stay on top of it. And I had pickle juice stashed away just in case I, I did start to face any cramps or onset of cramps. And so there were two occasions where I kind of felt uh, I got a cramp in like my left calf at the Herculean hoist the first time. Right. And then I got I started to cramp up a little on the second lap when I would have to jump to do something. And so luckily I had that pickle juice stashed away. I drank it. And, you know, that that pickle juice mitigates um, 
the muscle contractions that result in cramps within 90 seconds. So it's, it's a, it's a game changer. Everyone should take pickle juice. Were you carrying like a vest with some water bottles in it or a bladder? Yeah, I had a vest. Um, well, I, I have, so I'm, I'm pretty quick at transitions. I don't, I don't BS at all. I just kind of have everything set up ready to go. So I just basically switch from one vest to the next. The only reason my transition took longer than like 30 seconds was because I felt that the weather was going to warm up. And so I took off my shirt, just put the bivy on and then switched vests. Um, I ran with a Nathan, what is it? Um, like the Rob Carr vest or whatever that right. I won from Bandera. It's two 20 ounce bottles and has some storage space. It's kind of minimalistic. Right. I did that for the first lap because I knew it was going to be longer and the bottles are slightly bigger. They're 20 ounces on the money. And then I, uh, second lap, I used my Usui uh, vest, the Pace Pace 12, which is slightly smaller and more compact. But again, knowing that the second lap was going to be slightly shorter. So I, I, I just had it packed with a little bit of extra calories because I assumed that I would be in a deficit. Right. So, so the ultra loop was on the first half and you only had to do it the first half. I take it. Right. Yeah. So they, they bunny eared it, you know, they added like two extra segments that would make it like 17 and change um and then the second segment was just the regular or the second loop was just the regular beast what Um, what kind of obstacles did they have on the ultra loop sometimes they do special stuff on there i was just wondering if there was anything like different like a really long carry or anything like that um let me see what did they have i mean i'll tell you one thing like like i said it was very reminiscent of the whole of of a norm course so the entire first lap we basically you're welcome to everybody else who raced. We flattened <laughs> that bushwhack, man. It was so nasty the first lap. It was like like thigh-high, like thorny stuff that we were bushwhacking through for, you know, out of 17 miles, like 60% of it was just wow. just bush, dude. It was dumb. But really fun. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's part of the race. So uh, I, it's fine. Like, it would have been fun to run faster, but you know what? It's a Spartan race. Like, it's supposed to suck a little, so... It was fine. Um, well, you but, got uh, first, so you had to run yeah. fast enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess so. Um, uh, what 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 did we have that first lap? I think we had we had like just some extra gnarly hikes, and we had I think there was an extra there was like some extra crawls, and there were some extra carries and. Was the was the sandbag back? There was rumor that the sandbag was coming at this race. There was a sandbag. Yeah, okay. it, it it was like I think it would have been like mile four or five of the beast course of just right. the regular beast course, and there was a sandbag. It wasn't too bad of a carry. It was maybe like two hundred meters or something. Um, so very, you know, it, it was a downhill first, uphill on the way back, but nothing too crazy. Um, you know, there was a bucket carry, but the buckets really changed a lot. If anything that was challenging with the bucket is that it came right after doing the tire flip and the monkey bars, and it was kind of unstable on right. the terrain, so you had to be careful with your footing so you don't roll something. I'm just happy to hear that the sandbag is back, so now sprints will have, like, two carries instead of one. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm all four carries. Like, Me I too. Like, I, think, I think, honestly, like, if there were more heavyweight carries, it would be it would it would make things a little bit more equal interesting you know yeah more equal a little more interesting on the elite side but i've also been out of the out of the loop for a minute um you know most most it's kind of funny there was a moment where i was hanging out i i went to go to packet pickup on friday and um callie you know she she was a yancey camper for a while she's doing her own thing now I've right been, up in uh, Netherland or up in Boulder kicking butt. And she was like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, saying hi or whatever. And, and she asked some of the other people, she was there with the pro team. I was like, Oh, do you guys know Miguel? And I was like, God, like, nobody knows me. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Just, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been around, man. I, I, I joke. I say that I'm kind of like a snow leopard. I just show up, do something majestic and then disappear again. So. Oh, come on, man. Quit being humble. I'm sure everybody there was like, yeah, that's the guy that shit himself in world's <laughs> toughest mother. <laughs> I would be okay with that. If people were to say that, like you're the guy who shit his pants and win the championship, I'd be like, yeah, that's me. Damn right. Like, Man, the first time I heard that story and shh, it was before I started a podcast, and I'll never forget your name because of that. <laughs> World's toughest pooper, man. That's, that's, that was a 
That was that was it. That was that's all she wrote. So hey, time is money, man. Time is money, right? I don't I don't mind. Look, you can <laughs> you can ask anyone who has won a championship in any sport, and they'll tell you whatever they did to get there was worth it. So Word. it's worth it. So. Man, tell me, tell me about your drop bin. I'm a nerd about this stuff. Like, what did you have in your drop bin? Um, so considering the variability of weather in Montana and the fact that it's May, you know, there could have been like a 40-degree temperature swing. Right. So I had a pair of black mitts that my friend Keith Allen sent me because I was dumb and didn't have any good any good gloves for potentially wet or cold weather so he mailed me a pair um and i didn't have to use them but i had a pair of black mitts um i had a rain jacket it was just a little um solomon rain jacket that's that's on the lighter side but it's it's just enough to keep you like dry and keep you kind of warm but it's light enough where you can pack it into like a waist belt if you had to uh a headlamp obviously um about 600 extra calories in the form of goo, about 1,200 extra calories in the form of honey stinger. Like if for any reason something would have happened and right. I knew I was going to be out there a long time, I was just going to bring extra calories. Like there was no way I was coming off that course. Right. So I, I packed in excess of calories. Um, my my secondary vest, which uh, like I said, it was that U-Sweet Pace 12, mm-hmm. that it had um, two 17-ounce hydration bottles. It had roughly four hours worth of calories packed away in it in the form of goo. So uh, was that 12 goos um, along with a, a pickle juice and each one of my vests had two beetle leads. Um, I'm, I'm an athlete with human. Um, so I, I pop beetle I found out that actually the best thing to do with beetle is to pop it every two hours during an endurance event, as opposed to like oh, wow. every six, if you're, if you're like training or something like that. Right. Um, so, so yeah, man, I was popping that and that, that definitely helps in terms of keeping, keeping my body where I need it to be when it comes time to perform. It, it helps with, with feeling energized and maintain focus and so just is being it, able to keep pushing. Is it Beatly like in a pill form? Is that what you're talking about? No, no. So Beatly, so the company is, well, I'm, I mean, I know they have the powdered yeah. drink, but you said you it's, were popping it. So I was yeah, just, wondering. I just, so I just, I just go, uh, I just go straight to the dome. I uh, pour it in my mouth and then pour some, and then squeeze some of the water in my bottle into my mouth and just kind of swish it real quick and swallow it, and I'm good to go. So how are you? How are you carrying the servings of it to do that? It's a, it's a so they actually they don't just sell it in a can. Oh, they so you can get like the single serving ten pack. Yeah, I got gotcha. so I, I got gotcha. you. I had two in each one because I anticipated I shouldn't be more than than four hours for a lap. So I got you. That makes sense. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. So I would just crack, you know, tear it open, put it in my mouth, have some water, and then come the next like water station or something like that. I'd get I'd get rid of my trash. Um, right. At, you know, at the little trash bins that they have at water stations or what have you. Um, so that way I'm not losing losing things on trail like that. So nobody, nobody wants to be trash and trash. Right. So, so, yeah. so you placed first in this race, but I wanted to ask you if you would go back and do anything differently, what would it be? Um, or were you 100% I mean, satisfied with the way it went? I mean, this, this is strictly ego. Um, the only thing I would have done if I knew that nobody was going to catch me would have been hammer and spend that little extra energy. Cause I think I would have had it in me to finish in five forty or better. Right. Um, but I, but I didn't do that because that's not what the strategy called for. The strategy called for, you know, saving enough in the tank to have to sprint it out if, if it came to that. And so I, otherwise that's it my race my race went perfect i did exactly what i needed to do i qualified for telluride and i took first you know which is great um but but no i wouldn't change a thing man i had a i had a great day and i can't complain so what are your plans for the rest of the season until telluride is it just all going to be training with that being your a race or are you going to do some other races between here and there um, most, you know, I mean, like I said, man, kind of, kind of on that slow snow leopard mentality. I mean, unless someone Never wants know. to, wants to pay for me to go to a race, I'm not going to go anywhere outside of Durango cause there's no need to. I right. did, 
I'm, I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to train and have a good time playing here in the Rockies. And the, well, I guess it'd be technically our, our little regions, the little platas and the sandstones. But I'm going to play in the mountains and I'm going to train hard and I'll do some local races just for funsies. There's an FKT out here that I'd really like to try and snag in August. Um, right. Because it's the only time that certain sections open up where you can chase it. Mm. And that'll be solid training and, you know, just be just be ready to, to do what I have to do come Telluride. But that's it. Cool. Um, so we're getting close to some of the first ultras that are going to be over here on the East Coast because I'm in South Georgia. So um, Ohio's coming up and the Fayetteville Ultra's coming up. And I'm going to do the Fayetteville Ultra. And I, my question is, I mean, these are for me and for anybody that's listening. What advice would you give to someone that's going to be doing their first ultra and, you know, like how to survive it? I guess I'm going to, I'm going to impart a few, few pearls of wisdom. Uh, what number we want, one, man. <laughs> number one, shit sure yourself you to save time. <laughs> shit, shit yourself to save time. Number one, bring wet wipes. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'd say, I'd say you got to make sure you test out your nutrition, hydration, just test all that out beforehand. Don't, don't do it the day of make right. sure you've practiced, you know? Um, so you want to build up slowly on the weekends to longer or, you know, whenever you can longer and longer bouts of, of just spending all day on the trail, you know, um, like it's really important that you get comfortable with just spending a whole lot of time on your feet and not time on your feet at work, walking around time on your feet on trail, having a good time enjoying the outdoors. Um, Number two, get comfortable with zone two, you know, so people keep thinking, might be thinking, what's this zone stuff? Um, it's heart rate monitor. It's your, it's your, it's your zones for your heart rate. So zone two is a spot where you're burning a ton of fat in your body, where you're working comfortably. And, and it's essentially like a place that you can be forever. Right. So get comfortable with working in that zone, you know, and that kind of goes back to the first thing I said, which is spending long days out on the trail. Um, number three is just, start make make sure that you're that you're putting in the work that you need with your grip strength and that you're putting in the work that you need with the little like minutiae of obstacles that that kind of makes or breaks whether you're going to have to do burpees or not you know like for example um with olympus like i learned something that i didn't know from some other athletes that completed it is like with the change that they made for it being kind of slippery surface, right. you're better off putting up your heels as opposed to the tips of your toes. Cause with your heels, you're not going to slip as opposed to the tips of your toes right. when you're going from handhold to handhold. Yeah. Um, you know, with the twister, you, you know, however you go through it, Rhea actually told me this one and now I'm going to implement it because I have ripped hands and I have to wait a couple of days before I train with my hands uh, to do kind of like a monkey paw when you're going across it, as opposed to gripping it tightly and ripping your hands like me. Right. You know, so, so I guess kind of, kind of learning the little things with obstacles, like uh, what's another good one. Um, I think Rose had an excellent post on like vertical cargo nets and a frames where you want to kind of go on the side where it's tightest right. as you go up Definitely. and over um, and how you flip over it. Although I'm, 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 you know, for the ultra game, that's not quite as important, but, right. but just knowing the minutia of, of obstacles so that you can have a better time getting through them and focus on finishing your race. And I guess the last one, it's a shameless plug, but yeah. uh, I run a program with my coach, Yancey, um, and our whole focus is on the ultras. So whether you're doing, whether you're trying to get to Telluride or not, I kind of talk about this with, with most of my athletes is that, you know, it's one thing to survive an ultra or any race for that matter. It's entirely another to thrive when right. you're running a race, you know, like there's a difference between like finishing a race and feeling absolutely like exhausted and like on the verge of, of being defeated and like running a race and finishing it and being like, yeah, I made that race my bitch. Like, so, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, um, I trust the training. Obviously, I mean, I, I, I felt at ease and in control the entire time I ran my race. I didn't feel at any point in time any doubt. 
I was confident every step of the way. And a big part of that was because of the work that I put in and the training that I followed. You know, the NC, the NC has gotten me ready for everything since 2014 when I first did Wild Stuff as my man. So, right on. The NC camp. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that they had. I mean, I knew he had, you know, all of his different training and all the different athletes, but I didn't know that they, he had one specifically for ultras. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the coaches that focuses specifically on the long-distance stuff. So it's a program that, that mirrors my own. It's, um, you know, it's it's three three of my workouts a week, essentially. And then um, depending on the individual, the reason we do three is because it's much easier to follow three workouts a week than it is to follow five. You know, everybody's right. got jobs, a lot of people got kids, you know, yeah. you got responsibilities. And so if you can commit to three workouts a week, you're going you're gonna to make leaps and bounds in terms of your your athleticism and, and your performance come race day. Right. And so, so my focus is all on, on the long distance stuff because that's, that's my bread and butter. It's what I love. And, um, you know, I, I, you're literally doing like the same stuff that I'm doing. And then on top of that, we recently just got picked up this app called train heroic that kind of gamifies all our, all our programming. It makes it real easy for people to talk to each other and, we got like leaderboards on it. It's really cool. I, 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 I really like it. At first I was kind of like, I don't know, do we need this? But then once we, once we got train heroic up and running, I was really satisfied with it. And, um, and I just, I, I, I'm able to talk directly to my athletes on there if they want to talk to me. Obviously some people might be a little more shy, but I got, I got some people that I talk to like almost on an everyday basis that I work with. And then there's some people that just check in occasionally that are like, Hey, like, you know, I got a, I got this race coming up in six weeks. Like, what do you suggest I do? Should I still follow the regular programming? And I'm like, well, let's do this. Let's follow. Let's, let's break it down where, these next three weeks we're going to continue and then the last three weeks before the event we're going to taper it down based on x y and z you know um so i i try and really be be there for my for my athletes you know regardless of whether they're competing against me or if they're competing against themselves doesn't matter you know i just know that i uh i would have loved to have a coach the entire time that i was that i was training and learning the race and all this stuff because for a long time i really did just beat the crap out of myself every right. single day and hmm. i was wondering why i was going nowhere fast all right so my next question is what advice would you give to someone who has done a few ultras but they're wanting to do the next one really competitively i mean oh, the <laughs> Uh, I know it's loaded and you just gave me a loaded answer. I just gave you the load. Yeah. It's a periodized program. Right. But so yeah, like, I mean, I just knocked out all those facts about Yancey camp, but, but really it just comes down to, to making sure you're, you're making the most out of your training, you know? So it really, let's step away from that from the moment and just be honest. You have to be honest with yourself. You got to be able to look in the mirror, check your ego and just be real. Like if you suck at something like say running, guess what you got to do more of? You got to go running more. If you suck at doing heavy carries, you got to go do more heavy carries. I mean, I hate to, I hate to, to bring up like David Goggins, you know, but he, he talks about, um, one of, in one of his many like interviews that he's done is like, he talks about, you know, people say that you got to triple down on your strengths, but really it's about your weaknesses, man. And like, you don't want to do what you're bad at. You want to do what you're good at. But when you do what you're bad at, you know, say you're bad at running. He says this, it's like, if you're bad at something, you don't want to be good at it. You want to be great at it. And I really believe that wholeheartedly, man. Like, look, I, I can tell you for a fact that I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere I am nowhere near where I need to be to continue to be as competitive as I have to be, but I recognize what my weaknesses are and I'm going to work on them. So for me, I need to continue to improve as a climber. I need to continue to improve from a grip endurance standpoint. And so I'm going to implement that into my training so that I'm better at it every single day, you know? And so it's just, you have to be willing to have an honest conversation with yourself and, and just put in the work, man. Like, that's it's really that simple um and and it's not just training i mean like you know it may be for some people it might be like diet related you know you may you may like to really train hard but if you again i'm here i am with with uh 
was with, with quoting other people. I mean, David Megiddo said this a long time ago, and it's stuck in my head ever since. If you eat like a hamburger, then you're going to run like a hamburger. I think so that's my like problem. You, <laughs> I mean, but there's a balance. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, you can you can indulge. Like, man, I, I indulge. Like, I like, you know, like, I indulge, especially after a race. I'm indulge, oh, hell but, yeah. But in general, <laughs> like, I try and be perfect with, with what I'm doing 90% of the time. And yeah. that other 10% is like, happenstance it's life yeah whatever comes up like my poor fiance she is so patient with me and the (laughs) way that i have to eat and the way that i have to train and everything but you know what if she like if we happen to want to go out or she wants to go out one night like i'm i've learned now that that i don't need to i don't need to be so strict that i'm like not gonna eat or drink certain things i'm just gonna i'm just gonna try and do well 90% 90% of the time, and then that other 10%, I can relax a little and live life. And that's and that's enough for me. So it's just being honest and, and being willing to, to face those things and do what you got to do to correct them. You know? so. Right. Miguel, we're up on an hour here, but I always have a couple of questions that I ask everybody that comes on the show. All right. So to this date, what has been your most favorite race and why? Oof. Um, dang man, that's a hard one. My most favorite race. You've done a bunch of badass races. So. I've done. I've done a lot of stuff, man. I've been really fortunate. Um, I mean, honestly, the Bighorn One Hundred in twenty nineteen was was pretty amazing man because i felt like i had no place being there and it turns out that i was exactly where i needed to be at the right time on the right day right on the right day you know and and it was amazing to get to throw down i mean i'm never gonna forget running in the dark by myself in a rainstorm wondering if i'm going the right way wondering if I go the wrong way, if they're going to find me like dead, you know, from hypothermia (laughs) or if, if I'm going to make it till morning and, and if I'm going to still hold on to second place that entire time, because the entire time I was running in the dark, I'd like, look, I'd I'd like catch a glimpse like on a turn and see the guy in third place's headlamp. And it was literally like that for like six hours. It was, it was ridiculous. Oh wow. Longer than that. It was like eight hours. It was, it was kind of nuts. Um, was that your first hundred miler? That was my first hundred mile. Oh, wow. Um, so that was, that was magical, man. And I just love running and like, I love trail running. Like don't, don't put me on pavement. Pavement's boring. Pavement's dumb. Um, I agree with put you me there. on trail and I'm, I'm in heaven. So to get to run 70 miles of single track in the wilderness That's awesome. was just magical, man. And every moment of that race I enjoyed, you know, from like the start of it where my heart rate was like exploding. I was like <laughs> 170 beats a minute. And like, it was like 80 degrees and it felt humid and I didn't think I was ever going to hold that pace to, you know, the middle of the night where it was dead quiet and just you hear raindrops and the sound of, of mud splashing with every step that you take, you know, and, and that's been, that was probably kind of like a big moment where I was like, this is living, like, this is, this is what living is about, you know, and in the same moment, like, you know, running, running the, the ultra this last weekend in Montana, like there's a moment where you're coming down some of these hills, you know, and you catch a view of, of Flathead Lake or you catch a view of the mountains. And it's like, to me, there's nothing better than just getting to connect with nature in that way. And, um, and yeah, so I, I, I'd say that's, that's been number one, number one, most recently. Just leave it at that. Right. Okay. So reverse of that question, what's the race that you didn't like the most or, you know, hated the most and, and why owls had 2016 <laughs> um i was not in as good a shape as i should have been i was being lazy um uh, and yet i had this thing with cnn where they were going to follow me around on the course and oh, i was wow. at the same time trying to court solomon um and or i guess it was a simultaneous quitting anyways um I, I so they were out there with me and even then I still felt really confident because I, I had been training. I just hadn't been as I was kind of cocky and wasn't as dedicated as I usually was. 
and we had just moved back to Colorado. So it was kind of like this, this weird in between. Um, so I, I ended up like getting a severe, like second, like a second degree sprain in my left ankle, like two or three miles deep. Oh, man. And I was like, man, CNN's out here. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quit. Like, I'm just gonna keep pushing. And so I spent like 14 hours on that mountain oh, wow. suffering every step of the way. And I was like, this is fucking stupid, but I was like, whatever, it's going to be good. It's going to look good. And, you know, I paid the price because I, I had to, I couldn't run for almost six months and I got into like this really deep depression from it and wow. just kind of like, uh, you know, I, I was one of the many, many times that, that I had been humbled and, gladly you know rightfully so because it it helped me it was the start of like setting my mind right going to the going to the place that i it was a step or you know a stop along the way of where i needed to go so i i can't always find that silver lining but that was just an absolutely miserable course and it was just straight up and down and i i i had to like drive back to vermont that same day yeah. or like after the race so i was expecting to have like a seven hour finish and i ended up being out there for 14 hours and then i had to drive back to, to vermont the next day oh wow and then uh turns out my flight got delayed and so i had to stay another day in burlington and uh i just i was wrecked it sucked and i spent way too much money and that was the worst mm. the worst you know, most of the time when I ask that question, people, t- you know, it takes them a minute to think of a race to say, but it was, you, you popped it right off. And I've always heard the Owl's Head is one of the most technical and difficult races that Spartan has as an ultra. I got to go back. I got to go back, man. I need redemption. One of these days I'll get redemption. I'm right. I'm going to do what I got to do with Owl's Head. I hear you. Well, Miguel, man, I'm out of questions, man. I don't want to hold you up any longer. I've got some more, but I don't want to hold you up any longer. But I, if there's anything you want to add or where people can follow you. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess um, I, I don't I don't really use Facebook a whole lot. Like, I use it, but I don't use it. I, I just I'm, – I'm really on the – I like the Instagram. I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, at, at MGMOCR is my Instagram if you want to reach out to me. Obviously, you know, I'm doing the whole Yance camp thing. But in general, like, you don't – if you want to ask me questions, you can ask me questions. I don't bite. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, to, you know, provide, provide advice based on the mistakes that I've committed along the way, you know. Right. So, yeah. Well, hey, Miguel, man, good luck and tell your ride, man, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely, man. I'm happy to do so. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Miguel again for taking time to talk to us. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and if you leave a review, I'll read it on the next episode because you never know when that's going to be. Also, my next race will be the Quest for the Crest. It's in North Carolina. It's just a trail race on Sunday. I think it's May the 16th. But if you just happen to be going to that race, uh, let me know. Come up to me and say what's up. Anyway, congratulations to everybody that was in Montana and completed the trifecta weekend. It looked like a gnarly race. And that's all I got for now, y'all. We'll see you at the next race. Peace. How's that? DK, I'll come through? Yeah, man.